Chapters twenty nine and thirty of Philomène's Marriages by Henri Greville. Translated by Helen Stanley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty nine. How to eat an orange. The door of the box opened softly, and Masson put his head through the opening. Well, how are you getting on? said the good fellow. Are you amusing yourself? Certainly, Monsieur Masson, it is very interesting for nothing in the world would philomene have confessed that she understood absolutely nothing about it and she put on a comprehending air the young actress is very bad continued masson but it is not her fault she plays as well as she can by and by you will see a superb scene and then there will be a ballet a ballet philomene asked yes with danseuses it is very amusing as you will see a tantôt are you going to leave me alone in this way madame crepin asked in a tone of gentle reproach if you would only explain the play to me a little well i do not act for an hour i can stay for a little while but don't ask me to explain the play to you i have not seen it yet what not seen it why you act in it i have seen the third act in which i appear but i have not even seen that entirely because i leave before it is over but the play is not good it does not make much money in spite of all they do to advertise it and i have no curiosity to see it a play in which one acts and still has never seen the advertising all this appeared so strange to madame crepin that rather than believe it she preferred to doubt masson's veracity of course he spoke falsely in saying he had never seen the play but it was only to make her think so in fun but this fact far from diminishing the esteem philomene felt for her hero increased it greatly she considered falsehood a weapon and the art of using it a proof of strength that fellow is not stupid she said to herself but i am more cunning than he which was a sweet and comforting thought to her if ever there was one to prove her superiority she asked masson a number of questions which in her mind went to show that she possessed an extraordinary knowledge of life and worldly ways he answered with the good nature that formed the foundation of his character without making fun of or deceiving her which was meritorious on his part for the temptation to do so was a strong one then he offered her an orange which she accepted with the gratitude a woman might feel to whom a charming man whose name is printed on the playbills shows a mark of affectionate esteem in public she peeled her orange not very nicely however and here and there tore away a part of the pulp with her fingers that were rather clean but which were terminated with nails that were not entirely so this operation was performed on the lady's pocket-handkerchief that she spread over her knees her handkerchief was made of coarse linen ornamented with a very fine small red stripe it had passed the day in philomene's pocket together with a number of various things and was not the nicer for it when the massacre of the orange was over madame crepin put two quarters of it back in the skin and offered them to masson thanks said he while a little sensation of horror ran over him i do not like oranges you say that in order not to deprive me of it she said smiling in a way that would have softened a rock i saw you eat some this summer at my cousin's house do take it all of it is not worth the half this phrase which the widow had borrowed from something she had read left masson defenceless he took the quarters of the orange rose pretended to look about the theatre and pointing out to his two kind friends attention a lady wearing an extraordinary bonnet he threw the orange behind his chair and taking out his pocket-handkerchief wiped his fingers and lips like a man who has just swallowed something very good they are still a little green he said they will be better in a month philomene threw him an expressive glance 
in a month said the glance i will no longer be here to eat oranges but masson did not understand seeing which philomene sighed it is more amusing here than at dielette said the good fellow who thought quite the contrary yes but i must however return there said the widow regretfully but rest assured i shall carry away the memory of your friendship for me in what the devil thought masson does this good woman see friendship well much good may it do her it is very sad to see each other in this way to be so happy together and then to part to see each other no more but you will see your cousins again dear madame they intend to pass next summer at la Userie. they yes but you i too ah parbleu i too what should i do elsewhere these thoughtless words escaped masson in the warmth of his enthusiasm for the country that possessed virginie and madame crepin took them as meant for her let no one accuse us of improbability such things occur every day at every minute and to every one only when such things happen to clever people they do not speak of them to any one do you then love that country so much she said disguising her emotion in feigned merriment i love it so much that i do not think any place in the world more beautiful ah so much the better i do not see however what you find so beautiful in it ah dear madame everything the sea the sky the cliffs the verdure everything everything in a word i do not understand what beauty you can discover in the ugly grey rocks on the cliffs the verdure is pretty enough perhaps although it is much more beautiful at cotentin i cannot explain what i find so especially charming in your country but it touches my heart and as mignon sings it is there i would wish to live three knocks were heard and masson rose stay murmured madame crepin really beautified by a return of youthfulness and feeling that increased in her with surprising strength it is impossible but i will come after you before the end of the play so you will not get lost in this crowd he went out shut the box door and while the play was unravelling its mysteries philomene thrown back in her chair with her hands open on her knees gave herself up to the most delirious dreams everything intoxicated her the overheated atmosphere of the theatre the public's attitude that awaited with trembling impatience the great and beautiful scene of the play and prepared itself to break down everything with its applause the passionate atmosphere in which a drama should live if it is worth anything acted upon madame crepin with all the more intensity because she found herself in it for the first time she plunged into unknown gulfs with the emotion of a woman who is borne away on a swing and who clasping the ropes and feeling herself falling in the air on the frail piece of the board breathes with delight the dizziness of the fall her head turned her hands became moist and she said over to herself i love him i love him and without asking herself why or how or what would be the morrow of this day that was unique in her life suddenly she caught up the playbill to see by what name he who would henceforth be the moving power of all her life was called in the play he bore a sonorous name but had he not said he should not play till the next act however she began to follow the drama with fresh interest what would he do when the accidents of the play brought him upon the stage she listened to the entire act with the same feverish attention that the other spectators evinced when it was over she turned towards the box door hoping he would enter she was aware however that masson could not come for he was dressing himself but who knew 
she had reached that state of mind that all of us have experienced more or less wherein probabilities or improbabilities no longer exist where the thing we most desire seems the only one that can possibly happen where we believe everything expect everything through need of that common sense which would make us justly appreciate the proportion of events after ten minutes that seemed ten centuries to impatient philomene the bell in the foyer rang and the theatre was filled again by people making the usual noise of those who return to their places after the entracte when glasses of beer have been drunk in the cafe downstairs and when the public's first involuntary coldness is dissipated it is the time for conversation between friends those who know the play announce to others who have not yet seen it the wonders which they are about to witness in vain do some cry silence and others sit down the late people slip in between the rows of fauteuils knocking over the ladies small benches and walking on the men's feet with the self-possession of persons who have paid for their seats and owe nothing to any one impatient and breathless philomene threw angry glances over the noisy and undisciplined crowd vainly did she stretch her ears she could scarcely distinguish a few shreds of the dialogue at length the last latecomer in the third gallery having ceased to quarrel with a gentleman who was but little forbearing thanks to the happy intervention of the municipal she was able to follow again the increasing interest of the drama that was leading the breathless public towards a catastrophe but what would it be those who had not seen the play could not divine it so skilfully was the intrigue managed at last little gadoreau as masson had said fell pierced with a terrible sword-thrust and masson with the order of the golden fleece around his neck his face white rosy and fresh-looking wearing a jet-black moustache a crimson velvet cap a white satin pourpoint and a velvet mantle embroidered with gold and followed by twenty men-at-arms advanced saying with a resounding voice by heaven my lords you have done a sorry task my lord the duke screamed the supernumeraries falling back a pace how handsome he is ah how handsome he is thought philomene feeling all her blood mount to her face dear masson cried her heart which beat as it had never before beaten when near the defunct captain la userie belongs to you and all that i possess and the owner of those goods herself leaning over the front of the box she followed the young man with passionate looks without thinking of the public or the actors so much so that when masson after a superb gesture returned behind the scenes one of his comrades said to him who is that yellow-coloured woman you have brought here where said masson naively who had forgotten all about madame crepin there opposite to us she is devouring you with her eyes that said the young man placing a finger mysteriously on his lips silence that is my tailor's aunt i am in good luck villainous joker said the loud voice of the first gentleman who was listening to them one should not make fun of one's tailor's aunt it is a useful acquaintance so that no one not even himself would believe in masson's good fortune which was however real but alas philomene was not pretty enough to provoke calumny the next entr'acte sped by mortally long for every one except madame crepin who continued to dream wide awake and towards the middle of the following act she saw her hero re-enter the box clad in a frock-coat and in every way looking like himself and not like the brilliant apparition of the third act ah how well you play she said to him forgetting all prudence to such a degree that the people near turned round why there is masson 
said some in the fauteuil annoyed at this circumstance the young man turned his back to the theatre don't speak so loud said he discreetly no i do not act well and it is absurd in them to trouble me to come here to utter such stupidities but never mind is not the play droll philomene did not find it droll at all and masson had all the trouble in the world to make her understand that the word droll has not the same signification for the inhabitants of dielette as for those of the boulevards and failing to do so he finally gave it up she has not a very open intelligence thought he with as little deference towards her as it was possible to feel what an idea in the ver was to hamper themselves with that woman everything ends in this world even medieval melodramas and towards midnight philomene found herself on masson's arm on an unknown boulevard amidst the rushing to and fro of carriages and omnibuses and five minutes afterwards was in one of those same carriages that was bearing her away not very quickly towards her cousin's abode she had read in novels of similar scenes how at the coming out of a theatre arthur being seated near mathilde in a satin-lined coupe drawn by two full-blooded horses had at last found courage to speak of a passion that could no longer be restrained how emboldened by the darkness he had dared to clasp the little hand of her whom he loved and how the avowal of his passion fell eloquently from his lips that had been sealed too long from a feeling of duty and reason she thought over these thrilling scenes but arthur said nothing at all he was sleepy and was thinking that he certainly would keep the carriage to take him home and that therefore he would have done better to have taken it by the hour and that not having done so was a want of prudence on his part that might cost him a franc more unless he happened to have a very conscientious driver masson saying nothing made philomene sigh and he felt himself obliged to speak to her well do you think you will grow fond of going to the theatre he asked her in a calm voice i do not know i think i would like all plays in which you might act said madame crepin burning her ships but this conflagration produced no results for masson replied at once unmaliciously i have however acted in a great many poor ones and will act in many more of the same kind madame crepin's ships felt humiliated at having burned in vain but this was due on the young man's part to an excess of delicacy or perhaps from being absent-minded actors are renowned for the number and frequency of their thoughtlessnesses and so she took heart of grace they are soon going to give something else continued masson after the first week i can get two fauteuils for you i could not give them to you for the premiere the seats are all disposed of beforehand but charles and marie will tell you about the play the premiere what is that asked philomene the first representation of a new drama the young man answered putting a dot over his eye will charles and marie go certainly there is never a premiere without them ah observed the lady with a stiff manner it displeased her that her cousin should have an advantage over her that did not come from their fortune but from the consideration felt towards them and from their notoriety she said nothing about it however and brought back to a sense of her present situation by an emotion she could not overcome she let the light of the carriage-lamp fall on her ungloved hand that she laid open on her knees but masson never dreamed of covering it with kisses how slowly this horse goes exclaimed he at length in despair at the duration of the drive does the time seem so long to you then philomene asked coquettishly to the contrary dear madame but it is late and you must be tired not the least in the world i would like to drive on like this for ever she said in a sweet voice full of restrained emotion 
the diligence at pieux even goes faster than this said masson leaning out of the carriage window i say driver if you don't go faster we will get out and take another carriage ah bien replied the automaton if you think that would punish me you are mistaken however he hurried his horse a little and our friends got out before the verrois house so much the worse for you said masson i will go the rest of the way on foot i think i shall get home all the sooner and he dismissed the carriage i wish you good-night dear madame good-night monsieur i thank you with all my heart i assure you that never monsieur masson no never will i forget this evening and if i can do anything to prove my gratitude to you nothing would be too much you may believe me you are too kind dear madame said masson with his most ceremonious bow i do not deserve as much as all that au revoir when will you come again i do not know the first day possible in order to end the conversation he had rung the bell himself the door opened and philomene was obliged to enter it and masson went off joyfully towards his own home without thinking any more of madame crepin than of his old roles in days past chapter thirty Diolette once more the evenings were long at Diolette, and they were obliged to light the lamp early madame aubier's eyes were beginning to fail her and she liked to wait to do so until the last gleams of daylight had disappeared she watched from her window the red tints then the orange-coloured and then the pale yellow ones lessening in the sky until a tender green hue gradually overspread the horizon where a scarcely perceptible vague light still floated till the stars appeared one after another from over the darkened garden and across the black trees came the memory of many past hours to her which slowly arose from the old lady's heart to her lips while virginie seated on a low chair listened to her talking attentively holding her hands crossed on her knees since monsieur and madame verroy's departure the intimacy that had always been so tender between these two women had assumed a new character they were no longer together as a matron and child in their relation of protecting affection on one side and caressing deference on the other there was a perfect harmony between these two pure souls both of whom had their trials and they understood each other entirely virginie had never made any allusion to what she felt for masson and her godmother had never given her advice or consolation concerning it but in their looks in certain gestures in the tone of their deep-feeling voices in the long silences that followed the evening talks was apparent a resigned trust on the young girl's side and a deep pity on the old lady's nothing was changed in virginie's sweet ways and her good temper she went hither and thither rendering kind services to every one to m aubier with whom she played dominoes in the evening in order to prevent his going to play them elsewhere to the servant-maid whose work she lightened and above all to her godmother who never needed to express a wish for a movement a simple look were at once divined by the young girl but the merry gaiety the song she used to sing all day long the good romps in the grass with the old fat dog who recovered his legs to run after her all this had disappeared with masson her childhood which had been prolonged by a tardy development of character beyond ordinary limits had suddenly given place to all the anxieties to all the dreams of youth she was not sad she was grave feeling that a great change was taking place within her and that she was entering a new life that was full of joys and of unknown cares masson had departed carrying away virginie's heart with him but he had not troubled her sweet soul he had said nothing to her but she knew however that he loved her and with the beautiful trust of innocent youth 
she felt sure he would return sure that he would ask for her hand would he obtain it there was where her anxiety began she knew nothing about him whom she loved she had given her heart away without reflection without precaution of any kind whatsoever she knew he was an actor madame aubier had told her so and as masson who was very simple in his ways had nothing of the adventurer about him she said to herself that he went to the theatre to gain his living honestly as a clerk goes to his office was he rich what did that matter to her he was well dressed he seemed comfortably off what we call mediocrity is luxury in our peasant's eyes he must therefore be rich but would father buron be satisfied with that kind of fortune would he accept as a son-in-law a man who acted at the theatre virginie was afraid he would refuse him and in the dread of that refusal she blessed the long suspense that gave her with its anxieties the trembling joys of hope since philomene's departure a strange event had occurred every evening at first virginie attached no importance to it but at the end of two weeks time a vague disquiet had entered her observing mind lavenel went constantly to their house under some pretext at first and then by force of habit afterwards he came in bowed to them sat down or stood up brought them the news of the day told virginie some idle story to make her laugh asked about father buron his harvest his cows and sheep and then left saying contrary to the usages of politeness which gives precedence to old people good evening mademoiselle virginie good night madame aubier later he began to show a preference in wishing to talk to the young girl he would sit down beside her and play with her ball of worsted sometimes in fun he would pull the wool which would make virginie's knitting fall out of her hands he joked about her preferences and tastes and this with so affectionate an air that madame aubier conceived a secret antipathy for the man who had been indifferent in his manner before was he by any chance daring to pay attention to virginie a man who was almost married par exemple it must be seen to the young girl who had suddenly become clear-sighted acted with reserve towards him at first and then with coldness but it had no effect madame lavenel having gone several times to pass an hour with madame aubier virginie had managed to absent herself during her visits but the old woman was only the more amiable the next time she called seized with real alarm virginie one day asked her godmother is not lavenel engaged to philomene i have been told so answered the good lady but neither he nor she have ever spoken to me about it virginie remained thoughtful a moment godmother she then said raising her lovely honest eyes to the old lady's face i perfectly detest that man i also my little girl madame aubier replied they then began to laugh with one accord but the next day lavenel found them colder and more reserved than ever he left early and two days passed without his returning the two women were rejoicing over this result when on the third day virginie received a letter from her father it was a short and but little affectionate letter such as he always wrote he bade her return home immediately saying her absence had lasted long enough virginie after having read it gave the paper to her godmother who examined it carefully and returned it without saying a word what must i do asked the alarmed young girl whose eyes were full of tears that she was struggling to restrain obey madame aubier replied turning away her head as though she were deliberating about something but the pretense did not succeed either with one or the other of them they looked at each other and burst into tears then opening their arms they clasped each other in a long embrace 
there is something under all this said the godmother at length be prudent my darling say nothing to any one and write me all that happens to you oh godmother to leave you to leave this house you have been so ill i was so happy with you i have never loved you so much before the poor child felt her heart was breaking she did not endeavour to pierce the mystery of the sudden command it was enough for her to be obliged to bear the separation from all that she held dear would she not be a thousand times farther away from masson at her father's house be prudent do you hear my child do not displease your father or your stepmother virginie shook her head sadly displeasing her stepmother was her daily pain and how could she help offending at every moment by the simple fact of her existence the avaricious selfish woman who loved nothing but money and who was angry at virginie for being alive because she would succeed to a part of father biron's inheritance who was thirty years older than herself and they will let you come back to me madame aubier ended this hope was the young girl's only real consolation nevertheless it was with a heavy heart that she packed her valise and set forth the next morning in the little carriole her father had sent to fetch her the evening following her departure lavenel made his appearance at his usual hour at the sound of his voice madame aubier raised her head suddenly and looked him full in the face the grain merchant feigned not to see the movement and looked all around the dining-room where is mademoiselle virginie said he craftily i have brought her some chestnuts they are new ones you know very well that virginie has returned to her father's house madame aubier said in a natural manner I how should i know it said lavenel much astonished but without changing colour as you have been to father buron's house you ought to know what takes place there who could have told you madame aubier that i have been to see father buron replied the good man without lying but not without dissimulating every one knows do they not that to dissimulate is not to lie he did not deny it but he could deny it presently should it be the case that no one had betrayed him it was a letter from buron that apprised me of it at all events he could not have told you so answered lavenel becoming anxious it is not always necessary to tell me things for me to learn them my dear monsieur said madame aubier with a cunning smile and by the way have you lately received any news from philomene crepin i said the betrothed man nearly falling backward with surprise eh my good lady why should the widow crepin write to me dame people write to each other sometimes when they are even farther separated than yourselves i thought she would keep you informed about her affairs oh philomene does not talk to every one about her affairs every one has his own is it not so she is getting on at paris as she likes she is in good hands moreover madame aubier looked at the wall in an absent manner after a short silence she continued in good hands you say how do you mean and she fastened as void a look as possible on her visitor ah mon dieu said lavenel in an innocent way there are some people who say she has promised them her inheritance you have certainly heard that spoken of the old lady continued staring at him and he was obliged to end his phrase if she has promised them her inheritance it is probably they take good care of her for fear of being disinherited that would not be very clever on their part observed madame aubier for if they take too good care of her she will live as long as they do and who would have her inheritance then lavenel bit his lips his mother had strongly cautioned him not to irritate madame aubier 
he would have done better to have listened to the counsels of maternal wisdom but youth is presumptuous and it is a consolation to say this to one's self when one is forty years old it must be of some concern to you if philomene has made a will in favor of her cousins for after all when people marry it is customary for them to make a settlement on each other caught in a snare lavenel muttered something about notaries who asked nothing better than to make people spend money and how much happier people were who married each other without any contract under the law of a union of property then he looked into the street announced to his hostess that it was very dark after which he left in a state of mind analogous to that of the fox who had been caught by a hen she is not a woman said he to himself she is the devil in person how did she know that i had been to father beuron's house bah some gossip has told her that i started off from diolette in that direction i went by the way of les pieux however but people are so talkative they are never quiet till they have told all about their neighbours affairs however he entered his home in a thoughtful mood well said his mother on seeing him she will put some stones under our wheels mother replied he it is not arranged yet we will have some trouble we will only have the more merit in getting the better of it this truly clever woman answered him who had however never read corneille End of chapters twenty nine and thirty